This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. You know, I join the ranks of many who are devoted, dedicated, obsessional fans of the music of Richard Wagner. And besides my obvious bias of loving the various panoply of soprano voices in his operas, I have always been fascinated by the Helden tenor voices that must fulfill the will of Wagner himself. They are required to carry, with near superhuman strength, operatic roles that demand everything of the singer. Helden tenors are, to my mind, the closest thing to a god on stage that we can imagine. A Helden tenor voice can own the great Wagnerian roles of Lohengrin, Parsifal, Tristan and Siegmund, and Siegfried from the Ring of the Nibelungen. They can thrill us as Floristan and Fidelio, and certainly their work can keep them consistently employed in these roles in opera houses around the world. Today, I have one of the Helden tenors that joins the ranks of Loritz Melchior, Wolfgang Windgassen, John Vickers, and Ben Hepner as a man who made his imprint on the heroic tenor voice needed for the largest of operatic roles. Born in Ohio, John Frederick West is an all-American tenor with a focus on staying true to himself. A strong-willed man, he entered into the operatic world on his own terms and proved his powers of endurance to all. He has performed with maestros James Levine, Lauren Matzel, and Zubin Mehta, just for starters, and has appeared with every major opera house and orchestral hall in the world. I first heard John Frederick West live in 2004, when his performance of Siegfried at the Met made such an impression on me because of his interpretation of the character. He played the youthful nature boy to perfection with a naivete that was immediately winning, and his singing fulfilled the great task that Wagner set out for him. Anthony Tomasini wrote in the New York Times of that performance, Mr. West did not just get through the role, he really sang it. With husky sound, pinging top notes, plenty of power, and seemingly illimitable energy. The Ring fans had something to cheer about. Well, folks, I am thrilled to have John Frederick West with me today on Center Stage, and I have to say that he has something to cheer about, and that is a long and fulfilling career. So welcome, John, and thank you for joining me on Center Stage. I'm so thrilled to have you. Well, thank you, Pamela. I'm equally thrilled to have the opportunity to have this interview and and to talk a Talk a little bit about the career and all those wonderful things and where we're going and all the all the beauties of the operatic world and especially of the Helden world. You know, speaking of that, what is a Helden tenor for all of my listeners? Well, the word Helden is a German word and it means heroic. Held, H-E-L-D, means hero. And so we have come to identify the Wagnerian roles because of, you might say, the heroic stance of just having to stand there for between five to eight hours. The Goethe Dämmerung is eight hours in the theater. And of that, we might sing on stage at various times anywhere between two and a half to four hours in length and master virtually the words of the German dictionary 
with some that are created by Wagner himself, <laughs> his own Wagnerian German, mm. Wagner Deutsch, as we call it. <laughs> and that, so we, we associate that heroic act and the voice that can have the trumpet to have a lot of ring or ping in the opera house, but also the strength and the baritonal quality of a very great hero, what we would associate with a heroic sound. And so, hence, we use, although in most cases we talk in Italian terminology, uh, for this repertoire and in general we say a helden. Now, there are two types of helden. There are two types of heroic voices. There's the lighter the higher voice, which is called Jungenlich, or young Helden voice. Mm -hmm. But in Germany, they call it the Hoch, H-O-C-H, the high voice. Mm -hmm. Then the rest of the world, my voice and voices like Vickers were described as Dramatischer Heldentenor, or dramatic Heldentenors. Or in Germany, they call it the Schwer, the heavy voice. Mm -hmm. And that is a lower voice capable of the Tristan the Siegfried, the Tannhäuser, mm -hmm. such as that. Mm -hmm. How exciting. And you are a hero, aren't you, John Frederick West? Well, I'm not. Now, that's not for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is for others to say. And if they, they believe so, then, then I'm very honored and humbled by that term. I think you are very much the hero. I mean, are you not the only Hilden tenor to have performed in all six performances of Wagner's Ring Cycle at the Met? after which you were awarded a standing ovation after each act of each opera. Isn't that true? Well, yes, it is. And, <laughs> and I, I, will not, I will not claim humbleness on that because that is something I worked for my entire life. Absolutely. From the time that I was 13. 13. And so it was an achievement that I was honored by. In fact, I didn't expect it because generally it's one tenor per cycle. And so when the contract came through that they gave me all the cycles and all the performances, I was so honored, and that, that was humbling, a very humbling experience. That Mr. Levine, uh, Maestro, thought that I could handle it, that I could do it, and, uh, and, and he wanted that interpretation. So, yes, I was very honored by that. That is fantastic, John. You know, one of the questions I often ask singers on this show is, how did you come to singing? I mean, you talk about being 13. When did you know that you had a voice, or in this case, a stim? <laughs> well, you see, this is, this is both the glory and the sadness of our culture at this present time. I grew up at a time when TV was actually showing good things, plays, operas. I grew up at a time when every boy that had been singing as a boy soprano or a boy alto wanted to be a mall. Mm -hmm. In the Christmas production that was always done at every city, whether it was Dayton or Columbus, Ohio, or Indianapolis, Indiana, there was an mall on the night visitors, thanks to Mr. Minotti, and the NBC opera from 1951, which is still up on YouTube, and I encourage everyone to go listen to it. Mm. That's what we used to have. We used to have opera singers on Ed Sullivan Correct. several uh, every month. We had Irish tenors Joe Feeney and Dennis Day on, on uh, uh, Lawrence Welk and, and Jack Benny. 
and we had the Hollywood Palace, and where there were opera singers galore, we had Candid Camera, for going to say the original <laughs> Candid Camera, which had Robert Merrill playing a barber, cutting someone's hair, Correct. with Robert Merrill singing the uh, Barbieri, the Barber of Seville aria, in the background, <laughs> and he acted like he was a barber that just, you know, occasionally sang a little bit, and the guy would say, hey, that's pretty good. Do you ever think about taking lessons? And, uh, yeah, a few times, you know, spare time kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the culture I grew up in. So mm -hmm. I grew up loving singing. I grew up sing seeing it as a viable thing to do. And my mother tells me that I was singing from the time that I was three on up. Wow. And around the house doing chores and so on and so forth. And then I wanted to be a conductor rather early on, and I started studying around six or seven with piano and drums and a little bit on the violin, not much, but a little bit. And it was only joining the Dayton, Dayton Rotary Boys Choir under Mr. Maestro James Wilson that he heard my voice. And again, I was 13, and he said, well, son, you should be studying because I had been a boy alto, and I changed to a tenor almost immediately. And uh, so I was able to start working immediately, and then I made my debut when I was 14 with the uh, tenor solos in, in the Elijah at the Memorial Hall in Dayton, Ohio. Good Lord, at 14. So you were a boy alto. So you must have always had a natural warmth to your sound, even as a young child. Yes, I did. Uh, in fact, when I was, before I had grown up enough sufficiently to understand what I was doing, I thought I was a baritone. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so there was always that baritonal, richer, darker timbre in my voice. And that's, in fact, that's how I auditioned to the Dayton Rotary Boys Choir was as a baritone. And uh, Mr. Wilson said, no, son, I'm not going to let you uh, do that. You actually are a tenor and it's time that you start learning that, so you may come in, but only as a tenor. Thank God that he had the good ears to give you that advice. Well, he certainly did. He said he was a, an original choral member with Robert Shaw mm -hmm. and the original chorales that Shaw had in Cleveland and New York, and he went to, uh, he went to Puerto Rico to uh, sing with the Shaw group with uh, Casals when Casals was doing his oratorio, El Pesebre. Good Lord, look at this. Wow, what what a legacy. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting to me because so many Heldon tenors come out of the whole baritonal aspect. Um, did you come up through, um, were your roots really in Italian tenor roles, John? Well, yes, because, you know, this is where I have to be honest. I, I was a boy in Dayton, Ohio, and, and that's not a hotbed of German activity, <laughs> you might say. So I grew up, and of course I went to the opera. We had two wonderful operas. We had the Dayton Opera, which had everybody from Roberta Peters to Daniele Barioni, uh, you name it, they sang in Dayton. And of course, only an hour away was the original zoo opera of Cincinnati, when it was at the zoo. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. many, many funny things would occur during an aria sometimes that would stop the show because the animals during feeding time were quite vociferous. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I was able to hear John Alexander, Richard Tucker. That's where wow. I first met Albanese uh, when she was guesting uh, at the zoo opera doing her butterfly, which was absolutely riveting, just riveting. I I'll never imagine. forget the impact. 
her voice had yes, uh, in absolutely. that situation. And so I grew up very much, and we had a symphony. We had the Columbus Symphony. We had, of course, the great symphony in Cincinnati. So I grew up with a great deal of culture. Uh, I met Segovia when I was a boy. I used to go to the art institutes, and he was so nice. And that's where I met Richard Tucker and Jan Pierce in Dayton. And uh, and so it was part of part of the culture, part of the way I grew up. And I grew up reading all of the Italian tenors' bios, you know, Caruso, John McCormick, uh, Gigli. And so, needless to say, I had a great dream of being the all-purpose mm-hmm. Italian tenor, like a Richard Tucker, etc. And it was quite uh, a lot of uh, Sturm und Drang, to use the German words, or just in English, the, a gnashing of teeth mm-hmm. that I kept being told that I was going to be a German tenor, because at that point I can't admit to saying that I liked Wagner or understood much of the German ethic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it was it was something that I, I realized that I was going to have to deal with in my future, but I didn't have to deal with it when I was 15 and 18. Oh, thank so goodness. I sang a lot of La Bohème's, uh-huh. and I sang 18 recital, full recitals of much art song and popuri and, and so on, uh, aria concerts, and uh, while I was at college and, and before, my first bohem I sang when I was 17 with piano, and, uh, and so I, I, I was well steeped in the lyric Italian tradition, mm-hmm. which was the best thing that could have ever, ever happened to a Helden tenor, because I learned to sing lyrically and as beautifully as my voice is capable of doing before I started barking and singing loud and thinking that the only way to sing Wagner was loud. Interesting. You know, I I only go into this in detail with you because I always find that the preparation for any singer in this life is so dependent on what's happened in the early years. And you and I, you and I both know that today is a different story. You're talking about the good old days. And the fact mm-hmm. that you were actually able to meet and greet these people and have them affect your career is is yes. worth a million dollars to you. Nowadays, of course, um, young people are exploited, as you and I know, very quickly and thrown mm-hmm. out there to the wolves. Oftentimes in repertoire, they shouldn't be singing. You did it right. You, you were in the golden age, really, of singing. And um, I was in the last part of it, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful thing, John. Oh, amazing. I've got to ask you, you know, we know you've gone on and the rest is history and you've had this stunning career singing everywhere. What part of the process do you enjoy the most? Are are you the kind of guy that likes the preparation of learning a role and researching or are you the guy that that loves to get out on the stage? The former. Mm. I I I feel that learning a role is the most interesting thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. This is where you learn all the history, you learn what the composer wanted, you learn all the zeitgeist, which means, you know, literally it means time ghosts, mm-hmm. but you learn all the cultural things that, that made that blossom uh, out, of, out of the opera. And, and then you put it together and you psychologically delve deeply into the character. Who is this man? Why does he act this way? Who, what, where, when, why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and all of those questions, by the time you get to the stage, you're done with that. You should be done with it as of the dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So the, cons- the performances 
in the best way possible, and I, I don't mean this at all negatively, but it's repetition. Mm, repetition yes. of what you have built, and now you have the building, and you are simply moving that building uh, to a new place, and that's mm-hmm. called the stage. Mm-hmm. And you repeat it. That also, that was all instilled at us. On, sorry, that was instilled in us by Mr. Godowski, Boris Godowski, mm-hmm. who always said, once you get it right at the dress rehearsal and everyone approves of it and you approve of it, don't change it. Just simply recreate it for the performances. Don't add. Don't tell me that, oh, I'm, I'm under inspiration. That's why I gave more. He said that's a recipe for disaster. When you don't follow what you've done and got it right and the building blocks, the steps to get through a role beautifully and have voice at the end of it, you're, you're flirting with disaster. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it was very much into me that that was the right way to do things. And therefore, uh, the joy of working it out was never as great as the perform. I mean, was always greater than the performances. Mm-hmm. Performances were wonderful, but but that was just the performances. It was the finish, not the building. And the building was by far more attractive. Isn't that interesting? You were the first person who has answered that so specifically for me. Thank you, because I would agree with you, <laughs> without doubt. You you spoke earlier about working with James Levine um, on the ring. Um, John, can you share with us what the James Levine experience was like for you? Uh, well, um, I go back with him to 1986, and when we did um, when we did uh, Sanson et Dalila, mm-hmm. um, although he didn't conduct that night, but I did. I I was chosen by him to do that. Um, all I can t- tell you is, as a conductor, he's one of the greatest conductors I've ever worked with in relationship to opera and the voice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he He's flexible, and he knows if you say, I need a s- slightly slower tempo on this, and I don't rush the bottom to hold the high notes. I keep a good steady tempo, and I give you the high notes uh, with generosity as it is. So you don't have to rush me through it like many tenors who don't have the right voice and they rush through the low work and get to the high note and hold it forever. And to give you an example of how great he is, uh, it was, I think, in 87 when I was still uh, covering, first cover for Mr. Domingo and Mr. Vickers and so on and so forth. And I I had some performances of my own of Il Tabarro, but they wanted me to cover the radio broadcast. The first cover, Louis Lima, uh, was the tenor. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically didn't feel right. And he asked me at the top of the, the, top of the uh, time of makeup, and he said, uh, are you prepared? Do you want to do this? And I said, oh, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> are you kidding? I've done it already a number of times, which I had by then. And uh, I said, I'm ready to take over if you don't feel up to it. And uh, sure enough, his voice sort of gave out as in his warm-up. And he, and but unfortunately, he waited till like the last minute to cancel. So it was ten minutes before we were supposed to go on, and he canceled. And and and, and I said, Well, I'm going to need at least twenty minutes. And they looked at me and said, You have ten. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So uh, Maestro Levine came up to me and he said, don't worry. I know we've already made our rehearsal. I'll be right with you. And my God, if you listen to the tape, which one of these times my adopted granddaughter, Selena, is going to get that up on my archives. It sounds like we've been working together for at least 10 years. Oh, that's fantastic. And it it was just a spectacular performance with Marilyn Chow and... uh, Wonderful, and and that's the quality of Levine. Levine could bring to any 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 opera something unique and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Work with the singers so they weren't left in left field while he went too fast or too slow, like other great conductors are want to do because they're on their own agenda. Let's say this: Levine, musically and operatically speaking, was on the agenda of the composer and the singer. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And what a versatile conductor, as you said, he was. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Or, and still yes. is. Um, yes, still is. We should. <laughs> yep. We've got to keep him in there because he, he's an amazing man. Um, That's correct. Ladies and gentlemen, I have John Frederick West with me, a wonderful Hilton tenor with a fantastic career. John, I've got to ask you, John Vickers, who's always one of my favorite singers, he would never consider the role of Siegfried. Now, this is a role that you have jumped into and become respected for. Did you ever think twice about it? Yeah, I mean, did you did you ever measure up just thinking, well, I'm a Sigmund and, and, and that's it? No, as a matter of fact, I don't think I'm a Sigmund. Sigmund um, is written truly for the Barry tenor, and I put Barry first. The mm-hmm. baritonal, the, the baritone that has high notes galore, like maybe Cheryl Milne started out to be when he could sing B-flats at the end of the Cabaletta, uh, of Attila, so on and so forth, as I heard him in 67 at the Zoo Opera again. Mm-hmm. And and Zygmunt was written for that type of voice. Therefore, it actually is on the low side, an uncomfortably low side for a true tenor. And that's why when I did Zygmunt, I, I, made my, I made my fame on that role by saying I'm going to sing it as a tenor, mm-hmm. not as a baritone with big, some big high notes. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what I always did. But no, Zygmunt was not the role I wanted to be associated with. I wanted to be associated with true dramatic tenor roles in the Wagner repertoire. That's Siegfried. Mm-hmm. And so, but that said... No one wants to go to Siegfried and learn over 4,000 words, which might as well just learn the the German dictionary, <laughs> uh, and, and take the time and the effort and the amount of work, the sheer amount of work to learn that. Mm-hmm. It's the only rule that I know for myself and many other tenors that is so hard to memorize because of the sheer volume mm-hmm. that actually you can know it cold but you won't have everything memorized on that first day of the opera mm-hmm. uh, rehearsal. You'll have to say, give me the scenes we're going to do every day, and that morning I will be sure that that scene is completely finished. Mm. And it, that was the only role that I had to go to an opera house in that condition. Otherwise, I always knew my role, you know, six months before, of cold. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the only one. Many, many great German tenors of all sorts and from all countries have the same problem with Siegfried. So, of course, at first I didn't want to do it. And, in fact, I was gently nudged and talked in with a lot of very fancy luncheons that, <laughs> that, 
that I benefited as being the guest while I was being hosted by uh, this or that impresario uh, through my agent saying, you know, you've got to do this role. You've of just course. got to do this role. This is you. You were born to do it. I No, 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 no. Me too little. I can't do it. And finally, the day came after three or four lunches uh, where I said, okay, I guess I, I, everybody wants me to do this. There must be a reason. And, and so here I'll put we are. In God's hands and fate's hands and, and opera's hands, and I'll, I'll do it. And that's what I did. So let's hear. And it hear. turned out to be my most favorite role. Oh, let's hear a little bit of this. Because it's a happy boy. He gets to be happy and have fun <laughs> uh, <laughs> all through the opera, even though he's killing things. But. But he does it with a good sense of humor. <laughs> yes, he does. sounds just like you, John. I love it. Let's hear a little bit of the sword forging scene. John Frederick West, you sound mighty fine. You sound mighty fine Thank as, you. as Siegfried. You know, I also want to bring up the fact that you were nominated for a Grammy Award for a, a wonderful recording of Die Winterreise by Sch- uh, Franz Schubert with Jerome Rose as your pianist. We, we are actually going to go out in, in about one minute with Erstarung from that. But John, you've been a wonderful guest. I mean, you know, the spirit of music really lives within you. And I love your stories. And I love it that you come from that golden age where you can really instruct all the rest of us how to go forward. And um, well, thank you. And I hope you'll thank come you. back. That's and my joy. <laughs> it is for us too, believe it or not. And I hope you will consider coming back and joining us again because I can see you have so many stories to tell. And um, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. We'll make a point of that, John Frederick West. And uh, in the okay. meantime, uh, you have a wonderful time in your teaching at Hamilton College. Thank you. In upstate New York. Stay safe. Yes. And we'll look forward to hearing from you again. And in the meantime... And you as well. Thank you. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. Okay. <laughs>